I feel like lots of people should be braver to tell their stories because that allows us to recognize that everybody else is struggling. Mm. And it gives us that space to feel safe in our struggles and feel safe in our um, sort of everyday journeys in a way that right now doesn't feel safe. Hey guys, it's Ayn Aisa here. And in this week's episode, we will talk all about passion and purpose, how to find your why and how to use that why to reach all of your different goals. Hear how Kairun's speaking journey is expressed through the various hats she wore and how passion for the environment guided her life, motivated her to speak, to find confidence and courage to face any sort of challenge. Today's episode is truly, truly, truly inspiring and empowering and I really hope you reach out and check out her socials which will be on the show notes as she is an excellent person to emulate. I'm not going to say much else about the episode because I know you'll be hooked in the first five minutes once you hear what she has got to say. So without further ado, here is episode seven. Hi everyone, welcome to the show, Seek to Speak's podcast, the podcast which aims to spark speeches, instigate ideas and empower expression. Today, I have a very special guest, Kai Runisa, who I think not only embodies expression in everything that she does, but also embodies passion and activism and everything um, in her life's work, actually. You know, Kairun, since young, you have always been very passionate about environmental issues from being a climate change activist, where you founded the Malaysian Youth Climate Justice Network in 2009 to establishing an equal opportunity, zero-waste social enterprise, recover resources, to pursuing a Master's of Science in Environment and Development to becoming a sustainability consultant with PwC Malaysia before currently leading UK's International Climate Fund in Malaysia via the UK Partnerships for Accelerated Climate Transitions, or UK Pact for short. You have a varied and extremely impressive, yet also a very consistent background. Consistent in that everything goes back to sustainability and the environment. How did you find your passion, your bliss, your voice for the environment? Thanks, Ayan, for having me on the show. I must say that I'm super impressed with the way how polished you sound and how clear the <laughs> message is um, in terms of what you want to get out of it. So I'm I'm just absolutely blown away by that's so <laughs> kind of you coming from you my debate guru who's always so articulate. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Yeah, so um, you know, as you said it. It's it's and and how you've sort of laid out that journey for me and being able to look at it from an outsider's eyes, it does look like there has been a lot of clarity in terms of where I've been going. But I think just looking at that and how varied that experience has been, it's very clear that that um, expression of that passion has been very different. Yeah. So activism is very different from working in the corporate sector. Yeah. And it's very different from working in policy and it's very different from being an entrepreneur. So as you can see the the thread that sort of brings everything together, it's that 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 um subject matter of climate change. So for me, I think it was a journey. It still is. I'm still on this journey, as <laughs> many of us are. Um and a, a big part of that is part of that journey of finding purpose and passion. So it's a mix between um, finding pleasure and purpose, mm. which basically makes up happiness, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's that's true. And like 
you know, you knew this when you were in university already. I, I mean, I could be, I dare say, even younger than that, you know, but a lot of youths nowadays don't know what they're passionate about or don't think it's important to find that sort of little space of happiness and um, because they have to pursue this one track of what is deemed to be a good job, engineering or, you know, the professionals. But you have not only made passion uh, your calling, but also your life's work. So, like, can you tell me a little bit of, I guess, the story of how you found this to be um Something that, you know, you have written that it keeps you up at night, you know, knowing that the sea levels are rising and that we're not doing as much as we can. That kind of calling is so innate. How did you yeah. find it? Yeah, and, and it goes back to what you've said about, you know, people f- spend a lot of time, um, you know, going on this journey and, and not knowing where they're going. But it's it's only because you're not, you don't have your eyes open to it, really. If you look at the twin tracks of what it means to be happy, it is pleasure and purpose. And there are things every day that gives us little signals that this is pleasurable. When you talk to somebody, for instance, this, you know, you go home feeling energized mm. by it, or you do a piece of work that, you know, it it, it piques your interest and you, you feel enriched and stretched by it. It it tells you there are little signs every day. So it's you just need about to look out for those signs, exactly. right? Exactly. But then there's also little voices in your head, usually coming from well-meaning friends or family to say, you know, this game you're playing every day, Dota, mm. whether it be Dota or like skateboarding or playing with a yo-yo. Pay the bill. Exactly. But it's it's these little things that hold you back. Mm. Because if you do have your eyes open to opportunity and what gives you pleasure then it is it is opening that door to finding purpose. And that was what it was for me with the environment, right? Like I started off very young and I started off um, going camping and experiential oh, learning. camping? That's right. So it's really going out there in the jungle with experiential learning. I, I started off with this NGO called YAWA. Um, it stands for Yayasan Anak Warisan Alam and um, Junior Environmental Group of Malaysia. So I was very young when I started off. And I remember being 15 and just being really tired of sitting around in a circle singing Kumbaya. And I said I wanted to do something <laughs> more with it. And that's, that's really what piqued my, my interest, right? To say that like, I was getting so much out of the friendships. Mm. And, and then I started looking for opportunities to do more. So I found this organization called Relay International. I was maybe 17. I had just finished school. Everybody else who were volunteering at the time were in their mid-20s, starting uni. So I was one of the youngest. We spent a year planning for um, a one-month uh, on-site volunteering piece where we were building, um, we were protecting an, an area via ecotourism, but via developing ecotourism facilities for an area called Kuala Gula, which is mm. a mangrove swamp in Perak. And um, the area was deteriorating because of the charcoal industry. And uh, some of the signs of deterioration were the, the flora and fauna. So it used to be a spot for migratory birds. Some really rare birds would fly mm. in, like the milky stalk. And that was declining over the years. So they, we wanted to find a way on how to protect that area. And one of those ways is through getting people to get value 
out of protecting the environment and ecotourism was one of that. Well, so you're already thinking about, I guess, policy and like... No, not really. So at the time, I was just a volunteer. Mm. So I would attend and, you know, the, the older, the older, um, more experienced planners, program managers were the ones who designed all of that. But it gave me that foot into moving to the next step mm. and recognizing that I, I really like this work, you mm. know, being able to be in this space and, and leaving it a better a pl- better place that I found it in. So that work led me to um, an organization. Well, it got it, that work got me picked up by an organization called um, an award. I was I won an award basically for that work. Oh, that's amazing! <laughs> and um, I was one of the first Bio Young Environmental Envoys. How old were you? I you... was maybe nineteen. That's incredible. And it just just started from camping. It just started from camping, yeah, and just recognizing that I enjoyed it. And this was again, it was it was seen as something on the side, mm. right? Like it's extracurricular. I got a lot of, you know, I had a, I had a community around it. I had friends who I'm still friends with today. And again, you could see how, you know, even with Brele, people were older than me. And, you know, I was, I was, they taught me so many things. And it gave me a place to say, there's this sort of work that, that brings meaning and, and gives me that space to express myself in a way that I had to look for. It didn't come naturally. So being open to that experience in a way that, other peers or even my family members, my sisters who mm. are about the same age, you know, perhaps um, were also exposed to this opportunity, but it, it really worked it. for me, mm. you know, because everybody has their calling and sometimes everybody walks into that opportunity, but sometimes they're just not open to seeing it, right? Yeah, I mean, being open to all of your signals, your personal signals, but also being open to chase after this passion and finding purpose in that passion, finding the bigger picture. And I love the fact that these facilitators made you informed. Like even as a kid, they took you seriously. They told you why we were doing and you're able to um, analyze or also like internalize um, the cause as well. I mean, because you're very vocal about the work that you do and the principles that you hold there. Now I see it's because at a very young age, you already knew what you want. And you're always advocating for the environment at corporate and governmental events, which you you always made sure to be, if you could, be a part of. But even also on a personal level, I remember that you joked that if you see photos posted (laughs) of plastic cups and straws, expect a conversation (laughs) with you about waste management. You know, even as early as your university days, you were marching in (sighs) Bangkok at the United Nations Climate Negotiations Intercessional ahead of the 2019 COP15 summit in Copenhagen. There is video footage of this. If anybody is curious, you can find it. How do you find the courage to not only know that this is your passion, but also to fight for it, to speak your mind and advocate for your views despite possible backlash or resistance because I'm sure your friends won't take kindly to you saying that, hey, use a metal straw or bring your own, you know, cup. Yeah, so this was a time before climate change was sexy, before, you know, it was sexy yeah, yeah. to it's like... it's not popular. No, yeah, it yeah, wasn't at true. all. It's not... Um, what did social media activism... Yeah, what, um, it didn't exist. So yeah. at the time, I think the journey really was about finding your voice and and recognizing that your voice and your opinions are valid. So following that experience with Raleigh at 19 and getting that opportunity to be inducted into this community of bio young environmental envoys, that gave me, you know, that put me as in, in, in a Malaysian community of other mm-hmm. 
environmentalists in Malaysia who were doing really amazing work. Some of them were working in with bats. Some of them were working with seahorses. And then it, that we went through a three-day session which exposes to lawmakers who were working on the Bakun Dam. Oh, you actually got... Some capacity building, exactly, out of it. And that gave me that platform to understand what the Malaysian environmental space looked like. Mm. And I was studying at the time, I was a student, I was um, in UITM, I was studying communications, it had nothing to do with what Mm. I studied. But she's a really good student, by the way, (laughs) four flat students, so like... There, there is a way to juggle both. <laughs> I mean, I'd have to say that, it, again, it's because I found something I was good at. I wasn't that perfect student in, 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 in school, in secondary school. And I guess that's what I'd like, you, you, know, you know, sometimes the system doesn't allow you to express yourself in the way you need. Mm. But you have to health, you, you know, constantly ask yourself, is this where I want to be? And be brave enough to say, I will pursue something that matters to me, right? And so following that experience with Bayer, it got me picked up by a regional organization called the Asian Youth Climate Leadership Network. And, you know, it selected about two or three young Southeast Asians mm within um you know this region who were doing work in different spaces so there were there were young people who were doing work in government spaces i was in my early 20s at the time i was 20 21 there were people who were in the ngo space academics um the government sector ngos and and they brought all of us together ahead of the cop so there were mm. 30 young southeast asians that were brought to bogo given something similar as what experience I had um, in Malaysia with the Bayer Young Environmental Envoy Network, but this was regional. It was run by the British Council. And from that experience, the way they designed it was through a peer-to-peer type of um, sort of uh, training method. And the people who I was exposed to were just like me, just, you know, four or five years older. That felt so incredible. It was, it was like a you know, it was an opening. It was an. It was an. It, it was a paradigm shift. Mm. So there was a young lady who founded um, the UK Youth Parliament. There was someone who you know, and uh, who was who was uh, who was at the Bali COP negotiations. There was a founder of uh, one of the largest environmental NGOs in Singapore, and it, it made me feel like if they could do it, why couldn't I? And that was very powerful mm. to be able to see that. But again, there were 30 of us and all of us took away something very different from it. But that's what I took away from. So what, I guess what I'm trying to say is that you have opportunities to be exposed to all types of different experiences, mm. but it's how you reflect on it and what you take away from that and what you internalize following that, that really makes a difference. So that gave me that if they Confidence could do it, I could. and courage. Exactly. And... And that was how I ended up at the UN. So I ended up at You COP. went to the... Yes, yes. So I was in COP14 in Poland in 2009, a year before the Copenhagen negotiations. And then I was plugged into a network of young climate activists. There were 500 of us at the time. And this was the time where young people were, didn't have official constituency st- status mm. in the negotiations. What it mm, meant was that we weren't recognized. at all. Exactly. Yeah. Copenhagen was the first time that we were recognized as an entity to be heard around the table. So a lot of the work we did in Poland was part of that building blocks to allow us that space for young people to have a voice today. Mm. But what that experience taught me, and this is really important, again, it's about reflection, right? And I remember being at the UN thinking, this is it. This is when, you, this is where decisions are made. Mm. This is where we save the this world. This is the room where it happens. Yes. 
And I remember thinking, looking at all these mics with all these country names on it and seeing them argue about how forests are defined. And they spent hours doing this. And it made me think, this is this it? Is, is this is this what happens? Is this the best of the best? This is what we got to work with? Exactly. And that was when I realised it wasn't. And so mm. I... It's just not the end. It wasn't the platform, mm. you know? So you can see how that journey changed for me, right? And so I went back to school in my final year of um, my degree program. And I remember scrolling on my iPod at the time, reading about the melting ice and the polar mm. ice caps. And I remember thinking, what am I doing in this room? I should be out there on the streets mm. making, kicking up a fuss yeah, yeah. about this, right? And and that that inspired me to set up the Malaysian Youth Climate Justice Network. Today mm. it's called the Malaysian Youth Delegation. Um, but what it, it's meant to do is to empower young people to create their own voices and express themselves and express their activism and express what they care about um, in their own ways. So we That's went on. incredible. <laughs> I mean, you came back and you did something. You're like, this is not working. I'm going to yeah. do my own thing. Yeah, And let me tell you, we don't come from a community or a culture that... that allows you to speak up. So there was no one in that space at the time who was doing any kind of climate activism work. And I would, I what I did was I went home and I googled Climate Change Malaysia and I would cold call organisations and just randomly tell them, um, I'm a young person, I'm concerned about climate change, do what I do I do? And, and that was how I created my network. It really was cold calling. And I remember sitting outside ministers' offices, waiting for them to walk out to either the bathroom or the lift and having that elevator pitch to tell them, I care about climate change, I need a seat at the table. It really was how it That's started off. so incredible. It is about finding that voice because there's so many things that tell us that there are all these layers mm. before you get to speak to someone. But... When you break that down and you find something that matters more to you than your fears fear. or your insecurities. Exactly. Like, this is bigger than this yourself. This is bigger than myself. Yeah. And so it's finding that conduit and say, I am just a conduit to this work. If I don't do it, who's going to do it? Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. And it really was that. And so I ended up, um, you know, and I ended up in, in Australia. It was the closest sort of Western democracy <laughs> to us. Uh, and I did something really similar, which was like, I co-called people who I had met at the UN. And I said, you know, I'm trying to get young people together. I'm looking for tools to mm. build this collective and build this network of, of young people and, and to create that voice for to represent us in a larger kind of platform, right? And they were open to that. So I spent six weeks in Australia. I traveled around. I went to PowerShift. I went to some really eye-opening activist communities that really gave me the tools to build what what is MYD today. Mm. And it was wonderful because, you know, that, that gave us that ability to recognize that there are other people before us that we can build on their learnings, but tailor that to suit Malaysia. Yeah, I mean, you can be the first, but you shouldn't be the last, you know? It seems like also growing up, you had a lot of mentors who helped you along your journey. And I know that you also mentor uh, a number of people. I think even at one point of time, a lot of us in the debate community in UITM found you as a mentor, as an example to look up to. How do you think creating that community and that idea of mentorship and lifting other people up while you lift yourself as well is really important? I think it's humility. It really is this recognition that I don't know everything. 
you know, it's the same thing as reaching out and saying, I'm a young person, I'm concerned about climate change. And, you know, it's just knowing that I'm never going to know everything and recognizing that. And, you know, when you do have that self-awareness of where your limitations are and how you want to grow into, to be able to do what you do better and to be of service to people and the the message, your message, Mm. your purpose, right? When you meet people, you will know. You will know that you have a skill set. Like I have a female mentor, for instance. She's um, in her 40s. She works for a big um, multinational here. And she works in a very male-dominated community. I spend about one, um, like a, a couple of hours a year with her to just say, you know, I'd love to hear, you know, how you navigate this because that's a very specific thing I can learn from that, right? And we need to be able to differentiate between what a mentor is and what a coach is, right? Mm. A mentor is someone who you look up to and who's able to give you your North Star, basically. I also have a sustainability mentor. He's very left. I met him at the COP. He's Malaysian. Um, His father won a Nobel Prize here um, for his work in nuclear work. That's incredible. And so I go to him to... When I, when I get a bit sort of confused or, you know, I have questions about whether or not I'm on the right path, then he gives me, he gives me that kind of well, sustainability. Really North Star. North Star exactly. Like, yeah, like that drives you back to your yes, purpose, purpose, right? Like this is, and he, he was also the one who encouraged me to go on to Australia because there were points in time where I'm just, you know, I, I don't think I can do this. This is too big for me. This is like, you know, I'm alone. I'm doing this yeah. by myself, right? And he's like, if you don't do it, then who will do it? <laughs> and it's that reminder to say that you have to represent your your community you have to represent your generation because of course it's people are afraid and you know there's a lot of fear but but you have to do it you know I love that like you have to do it yeah nobody else is gonna do it right if not you who yes if not now when exactly yeah and so that's really important to me and I I keep myself open to that and it's the same thing as mentoring other people Mm. what people assume is that when you mentor you have something to share but it's not it's unlocking that knowledge for yourself I mean you know from learning right that's a 70-20-10 rule where you know 10% is what you read and 20% is what you experience by doing and uh, sorry, twenty percent is it's learning from from other people, and seventy percent is learning by doing. So you just have to go out there and learn it, and learn. isn't it? Yeah. And so that really is when you mentor, you are learning by doing. Whatever your lessons that you are learning yourself, why sharing that lesson with you? I am internalizing it. Do you know? You get what I mean? Yeah, that's absolutely true. I did not ever see it that way. I always thought it was a one way street, and that's why it's so difficult for me to ask for mentorship because I'm like, I am burdening you, and I think that's also another thing that we have to get over Break, that yeah. asking for help doesn't mean that you are being a nuisance that no. you are being an inconvenience no. because I feel like you always would like the opportunity to empower more people and Absolutely. pay it forward because that's what the older generation or did previous for generation did for you and I have younger mentors I have mentors who are younger than me and I ask them for not advice but like a perspective mm. on what they look for in leadership so a mentor doesn't have to be someone who's experienced and older. You could have peer mentors. Yeah, you're right. You could have you're right. mentors you could for younger. Have peer mentors. Exactly. And I do ask them, like, you know, I, for instance, am learning how to lead a team. What kind of leader do, do you, you value? You know, so because I, I like the style of working of this person and I would ask that, like, even in taking jobs, I remember calling a younger mentor and say, what would you think of me if I took this job? 
you know so it's it's role modeling back to humility as well you got to be humble enough to know that you have limitations and not a lot of people would like to do that a lot of people will feel shame and embarrassment to ask somebody who's younger and blind spots because there are things a recognition that i'm not going to be able to see i you were oh, we're all myopic right we mm. see the world this way through our lens but then there are there are a, like you know our vision our field of vision yeah. is much larger than that Welcome to the break. Here I would like to introduce you to another amazing person who is known as Malaysia's podcasting rainmaker, Norm Chella. He is the host of many great podcast shows like Pot Lovers Asia, Rome FM, Anti Fool, Tempered Fables, and many more. His episode with Renegade Radio's podcast sessions Malaysia is the reason why I got into podcasting in the first place. So I hope all of you will check out his stuff and be inspired like how I was inspired to start my own show. I'm quite lucky to have the opportunity to interview him very soon. So if you're a fan of his work and you ha- you have any questions you would like to ask, you can email me at hello.seektospeak@gmail.com or you can just email me for fun to say hi. I would appreciate that too. So anyways, let's get back to the interview. But when it comes to your life, you know, you're very open about your experiences and your thoughts. You're always writing. You've written for blogs like Makchik and Makchik, am I saying it right? <laughs> and magazines like The Tatler. But you also share a lot of your life on your social media accounts. You describe your Instagram account as like your photo journal or blog. And you're not afraid to not only share the highlights, but also the difficulties as well. How does writing make you feel and do you think self-expression is good for the soul? So yes, short answer yes. I mean you know that already. <laughs> um but I think what people don't realize is is that everybody has a story mm. and it's important we tell our stories. We have enough leaders in the world. We don't yeah. have enough storytellers. <laughs> In the world, so you know what I mean? Right. And yeah. a lot of our leaders they don't want to be open about their life because you know there's always something to point to or something to blame but yeah we don't have enough storytellers. I mean think about Obama and why mm. he was so successful. He told stories. He told stories about his father. He told stories about growing up and we relate to that. Yeah. So it's incredibly powerful. So writing does that for me. It's not just the ability to process my thoughts. and put something down on paper and say this is how i feel today i i i find that writing and journaling every day helps me understand myself better the same way i talk to people i make sense of things and the world through relating to others and validating that my thoughts are real and valid but it's also being authentic to yourself because there's so much that's marketed to us you know the advertisements yeah, the like, like authenticity you're right that's something that's missing yes and you know how people they look so shiny and like you know this perfect. is perfect yeah. and this is like what my life is like look at this new thing i bought look at how pretty my kids look in their beautiful dresses but that's not authentic because you know it's very polished and there's so many very refreshing accounts instagram accounts or influencers that aren't afraid to say you know the beautiful photos but on this is the process it took also, to get there yeah. right so having that recognition and going in with your eyes open it's really important i feel like lots of people should be braver to tell their stories because that allows us to recognize that everybody else is struggling mm. and it gives us that space to feel safe 
in our struggles and feel safe in our um, sort of everyday journeys in a way that right now doesn't feel safe. Yeah, you're right. Because like people fear sharing their difficulties. They fear being judged or being criticized. Um, this is a huge barrier um, for people who want to speak out and talk about their difficulties. But sometimes sharing also allows other people to be inspired or to really relate to your story and that it may ease their own journey and problems. Like, do you see people relating to your experiences and stories that you share? Has anyone reached out to you? Oh, absolutely. I find that a lot of the messages that, you know, if you look at every single movie that you've watched, it is really about the hero's journey. It's about the hero's journey. Think yeah. about the Indiana Jones. Think about Lord of the Rings. Think about Star Wars. It's not the Wars. end. It's the journey, right? It is the hero's journey. It's that hero who is finding his path. If you think about Luke Skywalker finding that his home is has burned down, you know, and eventually it's it's all part of this experience of of going through life, right? And and because movies that and that's why we love these stories mm. because they're relatable we see ourselves mm. in them right but very most importantly it's you know when you think about black lives matter movement yeah. you think about diversity in movies right it's because you want to see someone who looks like you in on in on hollywood on the silver mm, screen yeah. and then you're like i can do that chadwick boseman the late um you know that so many kids were able to say uh, to look at his story and say if he could do it, i could do it too mm. and it's exactly this story that i've i've shared about you know being in this asian youth network and seeing that and that story was important to me so telling that story now i'm realizing that a lot of people relate and they're not enough women moms divorcees um leaders who are open enough to share that journey and be relatable mm. because a lot of young people, well, not just young people, but moms, these days it's moms who come to me and say, I hear you and I'm so glad you are speaking my truth and I don't feel oh alone. Gosh. I don't feel alone. I, it's not me. I'm not crazy. Everybody goes through it. And yeah, you are, yeah. and your story says that to me, that I'm not alone. And that is very important. If I didn't write, like, I never thought that being able to, like, expressing myself and just doing something for me and not for anyone else, and someone else can get, get strength. Feel something. Strength out of yeah. it. So, and you probably thought you were also, like, alone. Like, um, and finding each other also helps each other, like, get through their troubles. Exactly. So uh, that's that's really critical, isn't that? Because, you know, you often find yourself thinking that, oh, it's just me that, that's going through this. <laughs> Nobody else is like me. You know, everyone thinks yeah, there that. There must be something wrong with exactly. me. But actually, exactly. no, not it's at not. all. Exactly. So more of us should be speaking up. And, and I'm not just saying this from a personal point of view. I'm saying this at a professional point of view as well. This pandemic is a great example of it, right? Moms or parents who are working from home or students who are not finding camaraderie with with their their classmates if they don't speak up and say that actually I really miss being able to work with other people mm. how do we find the solutions to fix that and things about inequality things about um, injustice you know it doesn't get equalized if we don't speak up and it could mm. be as simple as this is who I am 
And there are so many tools that are out there and I'm learning those myself. You know, there's something called nonviolent communication. When you find yourself in a conflict, for instance, mm. and, you know, this fear of speaking up, there are ways to express yourself without... Being confrontational. Exactly. And NVC teaches teaches me that. So I practice it. And I it's, didn't know that. So it I... starts off with, this is what my perception is. In any situation, this is what I perceived. Mm-hmm. And then this is what I felt and this is what I want you to do. So using those really three simple steps help you communicate in a way that is non-violent. And it could apply to any kind of conflict, whether you're unhappy at work or there's something in your relationship or it's with a parent or it's with a child or if it's with your friend. Using NVC is a really powerful tool to allow you to move past your conflict mm. and arrive at this is who I am and this is what I'm, I'm showing you who I am and I hope you hear me. This is actually your third year back in Malaysia yes. only, right? You were in Jakarta for two years yes. before moving to London for another two years. I mean, even while growing up listening to your stories, you, you've been all over the world for not just debate competitions, but through your work in activism. Even you as a mother of two very young and beautiful and smart <laughs> children went on a huge adventure. Of, you know, you went through from Europe to Asia for 30 days Overland. You were the moderator of Safigo's X conference panel on age, responsibilities, and expectations. Should these things stop you from traveling? There, you talked about the expectations set on mothers and women about what they need to do or are expected to do. Even now, women are usually strapped with unreasonable expectations that they cannot negotiate out of, where we're not allowed to think about our wants and needs because the needs of others always come first. I mean, even when you made the decision to pursue your master's, you wrote that you felt guilty for wanting to pursue your dreams, even though pursuing your dreams makes you happy and a happier mom makes you a better mom. Yeah. As a single working mom, do you face these issues from people that you know or work with? And if so, what do you do when faced with these sort of challenges? So let me tell you a little bit about my panel. Um, and these women have become my community, right? So mm-hmm. I moderated this panel of three amazing women. Um, one of them, Beverly Roach. Um, you know, she used to work in the Canadian Army. Mm-hmm. And she went on to work, you know, she retired and then she went on to lead the private, um, what do you call this, uh, pr- protection? No, she went to lead the security force. Oh, okay, okay. The security force. Um, That's very unconventional. In, in um, f- for the World Bank in Afghanistan. She's That's a woman. Incredible. Yeah, so she was uh, in her late 50s and, you know, she's 60 now um, when I met her. And, and that's one story. The other one who's a 70-year-old grandmother who took up travel photography in her 60s. And she's gone on to write books about about travel. And she went solo traveling. She went with family or friends or on her own sometimes. But the point is not letting your gender, your age, your circumstances hold you back because it is really breaking out of that. So organizations or platforms like Zafigo sound like, oh, it's like a travel you know, platform. But what really is, it's, it's, a, story to, it's, it's a place to hear stories mm. of women who have broken out of their 
boxes and their cages to say that this is who I am that limits them and saying I am more than that. And we are all more than that. So so yes, it's about being brave and taking that first step. And you know, that train journey for like everybody sees that one. They didn't see the ones that came before that. Mm. They didn't see the ones that I the really difficult ones, because to tell you the truth, the train trip wasn't difficult. It, it really, wasn't difficult. But you had two really young children. I did. On thirty days travel. I did. You were deported I at one yeah. point of time. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but if you think about it, it really was about, you know, we had many stops. We picked places that was close enough to the train station where we could exit and come back. I have been on trips where we needed to be at the airport at 7 o'clock in the morning. How do you find a place that's close enough for you to get to the airport two hours before that with kids who are in diapers, in strollers, bottle feeding? So I've been on more difficult trips. The point I'm trying to make is this, right? Like before you do your big journey that everybody sees, Mm. that everybody lauds you for, that everybody says, this is what you're amazing for. They don't see what the, the struggles that you had to go through to get there. The incremental changes. Exactly. So, so you know, I feel like I'm in a workplace or I have that ability to speak for others who are not able to today because I went through that before and I know what it's like to not have a voice. And I remember as an activist, and I tell young people I mentor today, young climate activists, when I, I tell them that, you know, there was what I used to be told or what I used to tell the older generation was, I have something to say. It's either you hear me and let me make that change or you get out of the way. And let me do my thing. Let me do my thing. <laughs> and so now I'm in a position to open doors for people. And I now the job is different. Now the job is to say, here are your opportunities. Here is the door open. Do you have your message? What is the message that you're trying to... So that it's different. You know, as you evolve in your journey, you learn that your role change, changes and it shifts. And it really is being aware to those nuances on mm. how you can support others through the journey because you've learned them yourself. So, you know, you read all these about women, you know, stories about women empowerment. It's about putting that ladder down that now once you've gotten there, right, yeah. for other women to come through too. So it's making it easier for them as well. So the fact that I feel comfortable speaking up at work when something isn't right or when I feel like you know, I'm overwhelmed I wouldn't have been able to do that if I didn't feel comfortable fight with my voice when I was younger. So start young when the risks are lower. Less. <laughs> Absolutely. And and even if, you know, even if you find your voice now, you've got a long way to go. Mm-hmm. So it's it, it really is about you know, asking yourself what matters to me and what do I have to say that is bigger than myself and what is my purpose, right? Wow, you're you're right because once once you have that purpose as you said it becomes your north star that really guides you and honestly there is clarity in everything that you do and it doesn't matter if there's rejection or naysayers or challenges you'll take it and you'll face it Absolutely. because you realize that this is what you're meant to do and yes it's difficult but this is the journey that you have to go through what's next for you can you tell me a little <laughs> bit about UK pack Okay, so I currently run a fund. Um, so it's part of the UK government's international climate finance commitments. So part um, developed countries have committed to move about 100 billion of climate finance to supporting developing countries decarbonize. So I manage part of that fund via the UK Pact in Malaysia, and my role is to facilitate um, moving this this commitment right and how I could get 
from you know what what is available to what Malaysia needs. Mm. So I provide that local context as to where investments should go. This is this is you know I'm looking for opportunities on where how we can mobilize more. So for instance, like the, a, a big part of what I'll be doing is to support Malaysia develop a climate change act. We will be looking at. Oh yeah, setting up climate change center. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I yeah. think it's a long time coming. Absolutely. So if you look at the UK government, for instance, you know we've got a climate change act, and that has allowed um, policy. It's guided policy. Heathrow three, for instance, was shut down because it was deemed as it it was illegal, unlawful. Mm. From you see, real change, change, like, act. and you can Absolutely. only not to say you can only do that through laws, but that's the biggest and easiest way to reach or yeah. uh, get awareness. Absolutely. So we're we're looking to call for proposal in the next few months and the areas that has emerged as key parts of the UK PAC investment would be around um, the enabling environment for climate action. A lot of that will be centered on data. A lot of businesses, for instance, come and tell us to say, we don't have enough information about the physical risks of climate change mm. to be able to make decisions around investments. So if, you know, should we be financing projects, developments that are close to riverbanks, we don't have mm. information of whether or not it'll be underwater in yeah, 30 years. Yeah, that's so true. there's no information. There's no one place that we can get data. We're not making decisions based on science because that information isn't available. So a lot of the work investments that we'd be keen to make as part of the PAC process would be to support that enabling environment. Um, yeah, we're looking at energy, we're looking at green finance, unlocking financing for forest protection, for instance, or for energy efficiency or renewable energy or that transition into decarbonisation um, for our economy is a big part of what we'd like to do with this program. Wow, this is this is the dream. This is your return <laughs> of investment, you know? like um, It's expression. Yeah, yeah, It's yeah. expression of purpose. From advocacy, seeing real change, not just in terms of laws and policy, but also our commercial landscape because more and more investors are looking at making green investment, looking at ESG, looking at sustainability to make sure that whatever money that they put in, they can actually see the returns instead of it being at the bottom of the sea. <laughs> so, uh, yes. Okay, yes. that's that's I, I'm so inspired and I'm so empowered and I, I'm sure um our listeners would also be empowered to reach out and you you should so. you should reach out and if there's a passion or an inkling that comes from a camping trip Absolutely. or an experience dive into that passion recognize what your purpose is and it could be your life's work and it doesn't have to be confined i mean you made your own journey like um i I think it would be hard to tell people (laughs) like your designation because it's so wide and yeah all reaching so (laughs) thank you so much for being on the show we i always ask this question to my guest at the end of the show uh kairun even though you've probably answered it already (laughs) why do you seek to speak it's because i believe that i have something to say and i believe that i have a voice and i know i do and i believe that it should be heard and all of us should trust that voice and that message that we have something to say we should say it that's absolutely right believe in yourself guys (laughs) very basic No, but very true. Thank you so much for joining me. Wasn't that just great? I mean, I really enjoyed this episode and I'm just so proud of myself and 
that first seek to speak that it has come to episode seven i know it sounds really silly but i never thought that i'd made it this far and it's all thanks to you guys you know when i see how many people listen and how many people react to our socials it's just really heartening so for those of you who have stuck with me since episode one with my disastrous self monologue i thank you and i'm really really grateful that you are still here and i hope i continue to deliver the content that you would like to hear and i also would like to hear from all of you so if you would like to leave a review on apple Podcasts, that would be really greatly appreciated because it helps more people find us if you would like to reach out to us please follow me on all of our socials seek to speak or just check out the website seek to speak.com you know there's a lot of great public speaking resources useful for the competitive and casual speaker so here i am extremely humbled that you are still here listening to me and i hope that you will continue to listen to this podcast and continue to go on your speaking journey of self-discovering self-reflection as well as self-expression thank you guys i'll talk to you soon bye